Let me ask you a simple but an important question to begin with. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the answer is easy, isn't it? The gospel is the good news of what God has done for sinners through Jesus Christ. God's grace to sinners through the perfect life that Jesus has lived, through the sin atoning uh, suffering and death of Christ, the credit for which we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. Yes, that is gloriously, wondrously true. And the gospel is also more. You see, because the gospel is also the message of what the Father is doing for his Son. And I think that's important for us to remember. When we begin our understanding and end our understanding of the gospel with what God is doing for the sinners, that is to look at God's eternal purpose and work from the vantage point of fallen sinners with fallen sinners at the center of the narrative of what God has purposed from all eternity and what God has been doing throughout history. Now, since we are fallen sinners and since we can only understand the gospel from the vantage point of fallen sinners, much of that is unavoidable. But nevertheless, we have to remember that, that there's more to God's work than to have the fallen sinners at the center of the narrative. That is why the gospel is also the message of what the Father is doing for His Son. And we already saw this in verse 10. If you remember, Paul told us in verse 10 that God's purpose is to unite all things in Him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, the gospel, God's grace towards sinners, is a means towards a greater end. God's purpose does not begin and end with rescuing sinners. God rescues sinners toward the greater end, and God's purpose is for Jesus, His Son, to have preeminence over all people and over all things. And in fact, we need to recognize that the good news for sinners is possible and is the good news for sinners is rooted in the Father's absolute faithfulness to His Son, in His absolute commitment to honor His Son. And this morning, we are going to look at that from three different focus points. First is that you, you are the inheritance, you. You are the inheritance. Now, verse 11, Paul tells us, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, what's interesting is that that phrase here, rendered in him, we have obtained an inheritance. In the Greek language, that verb, obtained, is in the passive voice. Um, I know Sunday morning is not the best time for grammar lessons, but (laughs) bear with me. Active voice verbs 
are actions that we perform ourselves as the doers of that action. Passive voice verbs are the things that are done to us and we are the recipients of somebody else's actions. So if I were to say, I raised my children, that verb raised is an active voice. I did the raising. And then if I were to say, my parents raised me, that verb now is in a passive voice, or I was raised by my parents. Um, my parents did the raising, and I was the recipient of that action. So that's the difference between active voice and passive voice. And what's interesting is that when Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, that's in the uh, passive voice in the Greek. And that is uh, important for us because that tells us, indicates to us, what Paul means by we have obtained an inheritance, perhaps more helpfully can be put as, we have been appointed to be the lot, or we have been appointed to be the inheritance, rather than that we have done something to obtain the inheritance ourselves. And the importance of that becomes clear when we think about, when we remember, for example, Psalm 2, the second Psalm, verse 8, we read this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. When the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek language, chapter 2, verse 8, I will make the nations your heritage is translated into the same word that Paul uses in this passage. We have obtained an inheritance. Now, remember what Psalm 2 is about. Psalm 2, it speaks of the sinner's prideful rebellion against God and against his anointed one. And we read in Psalm 2 that God's purpose is to exalt his anointed to have preeminence over all peoples and all things. And that happens in two ways. First, the Son, the Anointed One, will one day have preeminence over all people and all things by one, breaking the prideful rebels, breaking them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So one way Christ, the Anointed One, has dominion and authority and absolute preeminence over, the, over everything that God has made is to crush under his foot all prideful, arrogant rebels. That's one way. But Psalm 2 also speaks of another way that Jesus will have preeminence. God will give to his son the nations as his heritage, as his inheritance, that they, that they may be his treasured possession and he be their treasured Lord. That's another way that Jesus will have, will have preeminence. The Father will give to his anointed one the nations who call upon him. And Jesus will receive the nations as his treasured possession, as his inheritance, so that we, the redeemed, might be to him his inheritance, his treasure. 
and that Jesus might be for us our treasure. And it's out of that background that Paul says in Ephesians 1:11, we have been appointed to be the Lord, or we have been appointed to be the inheritance. And what Paul is getting at is that we, we are that people that God has promised to the Son in Psalm 2. And what Paul is getting at is that this is the Father's promise to the Son coming to fruition. And what we are seeing is the Father's faithfulness to His Son. And also important is to remember passages like Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. Again, in the Greek Old Testament, that word heritage is the same word that Paul uses in this passage. And Psalm 32, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage, as his inheritance. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the physical descendants of Abraham, they were God's treasured heritage and inheritance. And against these backdrops, Ephesians 1.11 emphasizes two things. One, sinners that we are, sinners that you and I are, in Christ we have a new identity as Jesus' treasured possession. That's the first thing. Isn't that marvelous? When you look in the mirror, mirror, what do you see? All sorts of things, don't you? But the most important thing about us now, now that we are in Jesus, is that our new identity is that we are Jesus' treasured possession. Second, whereas only the people of Israel were considered God's inheritance in the Old Testament, now even the Gentiles by faith, by faith in Christ, are also made God's inheritance and the Gentiles are now also made Jesus' treasured possession. And that's verses 13 and 14, which we will focus on next week. So, what's the point? The point, first of all, is this. You are the inheritance. You are the people that God has given to His Son to be His treasured possession, that God was committed with absolute faithfulness to exalt his son, and he has done that by bringing the redeemed both to be Jesus' treasured possession and that we, his redeemed, might hold Jesus as our treasured Lord. You are the inheritance. Now, secondly, Paul tells us how it happened. And the question is, how have we come to be Jesus' treasured possession? And Paul answers that. And Paul's answer, we see it 
completely eliminates any possibility of pride on man's part. Any possibility of boasting is eliminated. There's no possibility of human contribution as to how we became Jesus' treasured possession. So in verse 11 we read, In Him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, Paul already told us in verse 5, if you remember, Paul told us that the Father predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So it's really important for us to recognize that our salvation is from beginning to end completely out of God's unconditional grace. Our salvation, the fact that we have been made Jesus' treasure possession, it is not at all based on what we have decided to do It is not based not at all on what we did, and it is not based not at all on what we might possibly do in the future. Paul states here explicitly that we have been predestined according to the purpose of him, meaning not the purpose of man, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, meaning not according to the counsel of man's will. You see, God's grace to sinners is in no way based on anything that's external to God. But God's grace towards sinners comes purely from his good pleasure to lavish his love. Now that is what Paul is saying, and we need to think and reflect why he is dwelling on this. Why does Paul dwell at length on predestination and election? You know, these are the topics that most Christians today would love to avoid. Theology divides, uh, people say. But notice that Paul is dwelling on them. And he dwells on these things in order to unfold what he mentioned in verse 3, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Then why? How does predestination and election help him to unfold the meaning, the rich meaning of spiritual blessings? Well, the answer is quite simple. If we have these spiritual blessings because of what we have decided. And if we have these spiritual blessings because of what we have done to merit them, then we can just as easily decide against them and we can just as easily disqualify ourselves from the spiritual blessings. And that will lead to a distorted view about God. And it will twist our understanding of the gospel. 
You know, sometimes you hear the stories um, about a disappointed and a wealthy father who threatens to write his children out of his will. You know, the child misbehaves and he is cut out of inheritance. But our Heavenly Father is not like that. You are in His will. You see, He did not choose you and hold you in His heart as a treasured possession because of your excellent qualities. Rather, you have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Meaning, we were not made heirs because of our worthiness. And we will not be disinherited because of our unworthiness. You see, it depends entirely on God's purpose and His will to give to His Son a people who will love His Son as their gracious, a gracious Savior and Lord. And that's why Paul dwells on predestination and election, because if our access and possession of the spiritual gifts have at all anything to do with what we have decided, what we have done to deserve them, you know, just as easily you can lose them. Because tomorrow you may decide against them. Tomorrow you may disqualify yourself out of the spiritual blessings. But you are not made the heirs you are not made Jesus' treasure possession because of anything that you have done. It was according to God's purpose and will. And just as it was not your worthiness that caused you to be the inheritance, so your unworthiness will not disinherit you. That's why Paul is dwelling on these things. And that brings us to the third and the last point which is Jesus, our treasure. Jesus, our treasure. You know, it's, it's so staggering to think that God holds us in his heart as his treasure possession. Just think about that. Think about what that means. And it leaves us speechless that God, the Father, rewards His Son's suffering and dying obedience by gifting to Him the very sinners who caused His death. And you have to wonder, you have to ask yourself, really, the Father could not think of a more fitting way to honor Reward and exalt his son to give to him the very people that caused this pain. And what we discover in the gospel, the wondrous, amazing thing that we see in the gospel is that 
of all the wondrous and amazing things that God has created, we are his most prized possession. Of the amazing things that fill this universe, we are the true delight and the joy of his heart. And when the father decided to honor his beloved son for his suffering and dying obedience, there was no greater, no more fitting way of honoring his beloved son by gifting to him the treasure and the delight of his heart. Do you see that the gospel of Jesus Christ It imparts to every redeemed human being an incalculable worth and dignity. You know, we we feel so amazing when people love and accept us and we feel crushed when people reject us and treat us as worthless. There is no earthly honor that can come a million miles within a million miles of the honor that we have in Jesus. And though the whole world treat us as worthless, as nothing, to know that the Father holds us in his heart as his most prized possession, that changes everything, doesn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is rooted in the Father's commitment and faithfulness to his Son. The gospel of Jesus Christ imparts to every saved believer a worth and dignity that is unlike anything that we will find in this world. But to what end? Are we so loved and treasured? Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now when Paul says we who were the first to hope in Christ, Paul means the Jewish converts, the Jewish Christians. Remember in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said that the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when Paul says, so we who are the first to hope in Christ, he means the Jewish converts, the Jewish Christians. Now, in verses 13 and 14, which we will look at next week, there Paul tells us that the Gentiles who have believed are equally loved and treasured by Christ. And that's next week. But whether for the Jew or for the Gentiles, God's purpose is the same. To the praise of his glory. The Father gives us to the Son as his treasured possession that we might hold Jesus as our treasure. We have contributed nothing to our salvation but sin. Yet we are loved not because of what we have done, 
but because God has purposed it from all eternity, and because God has brought it to fruition in faithful execution of His will. And once we understand this, you realize that the gospel moves our hearts to praise Jesus. That's the goal. The gospel does not begin and end with me. The gospel does not begin and end with salvation of sinners. That's how we experience it as fallen sinners. But God has a greater purpose behind it. It is so that Jesus, his son, might become preeminent to the praise of his glory. Praise springs from love. Some people praise their country. Some people praise their political party and leaders. Some people praise their celebrities. Some people praise books, music. But do you notice what happens? We praise what we love. We praise what we love. Our hearts and minds are captivated by what we love. And so let me ask you, do you praise Jesus? That is, do you love Jesus? If you look back this week, this past week, what did you spend this week praising? What things captivated your heart and your minds and filled your view, vision with the sense of glory. It's not that we can't love other things, but I am asking you, where was Jesus in this past week for you? Did you praise Jesus? And you praise, we praise what we love. Do you love Jesus? Do you see what he has done for you? Do you see how he holds you in his heart? You are his inheritance. You are his treasured possession so that he may be your treasure. Love him. Praise him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instructions and your word this morning. And our earnest prayer is that indeed we may see with clarity, with increasing clarity and depth, the love that Jesus has for us, how he holds us in his heart, that we, since he has loved us first, that we may love him in return. We pray that Jesus may be our greatest treasure, that our lips and our hearts may be filled with praises for him. For we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.